All right, well, open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, Galatians, chapter 6, we pick it up tonight in verse 6. And let me make really clear, there are very few areas where I ever feel like I almost have to apologize for the text, not because the Bible has anything to say that I need to apologize for, but you just need to know right from the get-go on this, I'm not taking some form of special collection tonight. But I have to teach the word straight through. And because I teach the word straight through, I can't avoid any subject that's in there, nor can I spend too much time on something if it's not there. So, Galatians chapter 6, are you there? Mm. Starting in verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have the opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision really means anything or avails anything but a new creation and as many as walk according to this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the israel of god for now on let no one trouble me for i bear in my body the marks of the lord jesus brethren the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit amen pray with me would you please Lord, you are so good. Your mercy endures forever. Your love for us is from everlasting to everlasting, just like your throne. And you have laid out your word here that you promise is breathed by you, active and living sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and can discern the intents and thoughts of our hearts. You promise that Your Word, every word, is useful to correct and teach and rebuke and train in righteousness, that we, Your students, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, here we are, your students, seeking you in your word, as Jesus, you said, you search this book or these scriptures, thinking by them you have eternal life, yet these are they that testify of me. So, Lord, speak perfectly to every one of us tonight. Speak a word or more into each of us individually, right where we need to hear you tonight. Overcome language barriers, culture barriers, overcome everything that ultimately we would encounter you and that you who wrote this book would settle it in our own hearts and bring about every change you want and transform us tonight. So I commit this to you and pray you would do that work. Redeem every second now in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any night, 
please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Paul is writing to a very, very fertile area of Turkey. Turkey would have been broken up into different districts, even as we might know it today. The western coast was called Asia Minor. The southern coast was broken up by various different titles, but the middle section of Turkey was the area of Galatia. It wasn't just a city. It was a whole region going all the way up to the Black Sea and down to the Mediterranean. It was known as Galatia, like Galactos, like galaxy, which is the Greek word for milk, because the people who lived in that area had a milky white skin. Now, I don't know how many Turks you've met. Living here in London, and even more specifically in Camden, you run into an awful lot of guys and gals from Turkey. Some of them you can almost tell. There's certain distinctive qualities on their face, and there are even mannerisms within their culture that you could kind of go, that guy's probably Turkish. But then there are others that you see, and you almost don't see it coming because their skin is so fair. You don't see that olive Mediterranean skin like you would on others. Their noses are a little bit more rounded and less pointy. Their brows are a little bit less defined. They have that little less of an intense stare. And, and, and they're a little bit taller, to be honest. And that would be those of the region of Galatia. Galatia was known, by the way, for its... It was sort of the breadbasket of Turkey. When you needed fruits or when you needed wheat, it was in this area that you got it from. So it shouldn't surprise me that Paul would use to this area an agricultural metaphor. These people understood farming. They were farmers. Paul had gone through the region, and what he makes clear before this point in this book is that as he had gone through the region, he went preaching the gospel, but he was really sick. It doesn't say clearly what, other than the fact that it appears to have been something in his eyes. He says, you know that by great infirmity, I came and visited you in the first place. I find it interesting that God used sickness, illness, weakness to steer Paul into this area. And the people there received them well. He said, you, you received me as if I were an angel of God. You received me as if I were Jesus Christ himself. And Paul went and preached the gospel there. And it seems like there were many, by the way, from this region who were around in Acts chapter 2 when Peter had given his message at Pentecost and many had said yes to Jesus there. And when Paul came in, his message was really very simple. Please hear me. The message of Jesus is a very simple message. It will always be a very simple message if we do it the way he tells us. We're guilty before God. God paid for that guilt on the son, on his son on the cross, who died on the cross to pay for your and my and the sins of all mankind, just like Scripture promised. He was buried. He rose again just like Scripture promised and offers us new life. And you need to say yes to that. Well, wait, do I have to get a haircut? Wait, do I have to change my clothing? Wait, do I have to join this group? Do I have to be a part of this club? Do I have to give this much money? Do I have... And we, we put all of these things onto it as if somehow we have to clean ourselves up to make God want us. But he wanted us before all of that. He actually says, in a spiritual sense, we were dead. And dead people really aren't very good at cleaning up after themselves. They don't make themselves cleaner. They decay. So when Paul came in, the message was very simple. We all stand before the same judge. We all have the same verdict. And God has offered us all the same out. By love, by grace, he says, I just want to give this to you. Can I give you my forgiveness? Can I pay your debt for you and declare you innocent? Why would anyone, and that astounds me, why would anyone want to say no to that? 
Well, as Paul had left the region, another group of people came behind him, and they were, in essence, the legalists, the super-religious group. And now all of a sudden, as they followed Paul, much to Paul's anger in this, they came in and they came to the same group of people who were brand new Christians. And they were brand new Christians. And and listen, listen, listen. All they knew was Jesus. And that was enough. All they knew was that they were forgiven. And that was enough. All they knew was they belonged to God. And that was enough. All they knew was that they were going to be something entirely new now. They didn't even know what, but that was enough. And they came in and went, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you really disciples? Are you really, really saved? Are you really sanctified? And they'll use those kind of terms sometimes. People do it today, too. Where it's like, you know, you've heard the terms in church somewhere, or the Pope say it, or some other guy say it. So, you know, it's probably a Christian term. Nobody even seems to know what it means. And so you're just like, I don't know, am I? And they seem like they're an expert. You know, they are always got some kind of fervence to them and some kind of confidence and some kind of command. And they're like, well, if you were really a disciple, you'd be baptized in our church. If you were really a disciple, you'd belong to this particular pet doctrine. If you were really a believer, you would look like this. You'd touch this icon. You'd say this thing. You'd have to be this. You'd have to become something different than, listen, listen, listen. You'd have to become something different than just like Jesus, which you have to become is like them. And there's the problem. The moment I start looking at someone and they say, you need to become more like us, but they're not trying to become more like Jesus, I know there's a problem. Because, see, when I first got saved, the only thing that mattered is I wanted to be like Jesus. And it's amazing how simple and beautiful that romance is. So when Paul writes this letter, he writes to a group of people, wouldn't you be confused? And there are people out there like that today. We've had people in our fellowship accosted by some of those people and said, you know, I used to just be me and Jesus and it was so simple and now I'm not even sure if I'm saved. And I ask, what does the scripture say? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not you might be saved or you could be or God will take a vote later. You will be. I'm going to trust that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I'm going to confess with my mouth, He is now my Lord. Wow, that's so simple. Yeah, it's supposed to be for two reasons. One is, so you would be able to say yes without having to figure out too much. And second, so you would be able to share that with someone else without thinking you couldn't. You're like, but I don't have all the answers. What do you mean you don't have all the answers? You have the answer. That's the point. So what happens is Paul's writing this letter and twice he said this whole circumcision thing and that was just the Jewish way of saying you have to be part of our club. Which, by the way, can I just dare say, and I don't want to be crass, I I don't know, I mean, it's like, you know, being baptized, that's one thing, but the moment someone grabs a knife and says, I have to come at you with this, no matter where you're going to go with it, I'm just not into that club. They're like, if you were really serious, you'd lose your pinky. Like, What? It'd be that kind of thing, you know. You know, it's like, hey, if you were really going to be saved, you'd get a Christian tattoo. Do you really think God's going to turn you over and start looking for ink? And what is a Christian tattoo? Did someone spray some holy water? I mean, let's be honest. The only thing that could be Christian are people. I have a Christian shirt. I've got Christian shoes. No, you don't. You be a Christian, testify in whatever way you want to testify. Testify all the time. So when Paul writes this, what he's trying to do is he's trying to put sanity back in this church. Does that make sense? He's trying to say, you guys, listen, stop doing this. And and listen, this is important. Because whether you know it or not, God is going to raise up pastors from this church. Several of you, if not many of you, if not all of you, in one way or another, will have a shepherd's heart. And one of the things, as we watch Paul be a pastor here, one of the first things we see is Paul does not have a problem making clear those people are his opponents. Paul doesn't just look at those people and go, oh, they're kind of wacky, little silly people. No, what are they thinking? He's like, look at Paul says, you know, if that's the message they're going to give you, let them go to hell for it. That's pretty serious. And then he says, you know what, if these guys are all about cutting, why don't they just cut themselves off, emasculate themselves? Paul is not being, like, mild about any of this. Paul's being very serious. 
And I read this and I'm like, whoa, man. Oh, no, you didn't. I read this and I think Paul is seriously upset. And then we get to this last section. And he starts throwing out this idea and he's going to go to this idea of farming again. Because, again, that makes sense to the Galatian. Now, notice by the end of it, he's like, and from now on, stop bothering me. Did you notice he basically wrote that? Can you imagine? Super apostle, man. He's writing scripture and he's like, by, by the way, from this point on, stop bothering me with these stupid questions. He's not saying it that way. The point is, he's saying the same way a parent looks at a child, when a, parent, when a child says, I really want to do this, and, and, and you know that there's no way that you're going to allow that to happen, you say no. And you know what's happening inside, they're winding up, right? They're like opening up their file, and they're going to start unloading on you. These are the thousand reasons why you need to change your mind. And you're like, you know what? This discussion's done. This is a non-negotiable issue. And it isn't something I expect you to understand, but you will in time. And that's what Paul's saying at the end of this. Listen, this is a done deal. This whole Jesus thing, Jesus only, the cross of Jesus is what you need. It needs to be settled. And it needs to be settled in such a way that we can move forward on top of that. Let's not debate this anymore. No matter what Paul looked like, beat up, one eye dripping off the side of his head, an arm hanging off or whatever by this point, who knows? I guarantee you he would walk into some churches right now, some of the debates over whether Jesus literally lived, literally did miracles, literally died, literally rose again. And I think he'd make a whip out of three cords and start beating people. He's like, this should be settled or stop calling yourselves Christians. These are fundamental points. It's sort of like you've got architects deciding how to build a house, but you don't really know if there's such a thing in the world as a floor. That's not the kind of guy I want to build my house. How about yours? Now, you know, hear me on this. Paul says this, and this is all a single thought. In verse 6, he says this. He says, let him who was taught the word share. Now, isn't this an easy message for me to teach? No, it's not. Because it would easily look like I have an invested interest in this. But understand what he's saying, because understand verse 6 is attached to verse 7. It is not exclusive. In verse 6 he says, for those who are taught, let them share all good things with the teacher. And then he says in verse 7, don't be deceived. The word for deceived, by the way, doesn't mean simply lied to. It literally means made to wander. There's a difference. There's something where you could kind of be in that place where somebody has said, you know, white is black or black is white or, you know, country is good or a guy like coffee or whatever it is. I mean, whatever the thing is that they want to say and, and whatever it is, you know, it's like you've just been lied to and you've grabbed a hold of their lie. But this is something that was with the intent of making you wander the same way that a wolf or a fox might woo away from a from a safe place and un, an unsuspecting animal to eat it. And he says, look, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, that would make sense, right? If I were to hold up in my hand a nut, just a single nut, and I'd say, what is this? The easiest answer would be, it's a nut. You can look at it, you can smell it and say, it smells nutty, looks nutty. It's a nut. But I might dare say, this is a this is a home this is a forest kit. If done right. Because if that one nut is planted properly, it'll grow into a tree. That tree won't produce apples. That tree will produce nuts. And if those nuts are properly planted, you'll have many trees that produce many nuts. And from that, you will have an orchard. And it all starts with a single nut. But if that single nut is properly planted, properly rooted, it will grow to produce fruit. And when it does grow to produce fruit, the entire landscape can be changed by a single nut. Can I dare say 
You're a single nut. I'm a single nut. And properly planted, we could change the entire landscape. The question here in this entire area is what are you really investing in? What are your real investments? Now understand, there are three basic principles that the Bible tells us about planting and sowing and reaping. The, the first is, and it comes here as we see in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, is you are going to get what you plant. You can't just plant apple seeds and expect to get peaches for it. That would be weird. The same way, by the way, that a baby born to any of you probably is not going to be a monkey. Well, I would say that would be, I don't even want to go there. Whatever you're going to plant, you should expect if it's like to be born forth in fruit. That's the first thing. Hosea 8.7 says something about the second. When it says that they sow to the wind and they reap the whirlwind, so you always get more than you sow. That's the problem, and we're going to see it here with the flesh and the spirit. You see, whatever it is that you're investing in, whatever you're planting, ultimately you're going to get more of it if it's properly done and properly maintained. The third thing, by the way, and it's simple, and we'll see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, is that the more you sow, the more you'll get. But that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, the simple truth of it is, if you had one seed and you threw it down on a giant 40-acre area, you might expect to get something from it. But if you throw a lot of seed, you might expect to get more. Now, here's the danger, and I always feel uncomfortable sharing this kind of stuff, especially in the context that Paul is using here, because of the way people have abused this. The way people have abused this is you see some guy pull up in a Bentley with a you know, 3,600-pound you know, Armani suit, and he's got an entourage of people that, you know, they're all walking around with clearly things that, that have been gifted by this individual. And he's telling you, you need to invest in him because clearly he's gifted of God because of his opulence, because of his money. And if you invest in that, God's going to bless you. But please hear me in this. If what you are doing is basically trying to play the lottery but expecting it to actually be in your benefit, you're going to give some money to someone and get more money back for it, I don't really believe God is blessed by that. Because really, you're not doing it for the Lord's sake, and you're not doing it for anyone else's. You're doing it for the selfish purpose of basically hoping that somehow this is better odds than a lottery ticket. And we watch people do that all the time on TV. You know, if you give them the right amount of money, they'll give you their holy hanky, you know, their handkerchief that somehow they wipe their holy sweat on. Please, 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 please don't buy into that nonsense. It was my brother, who was also my pastor, by the way, who had discovered that there was an individual who was always begging for money. But he was also somebody that kept saying that the principle was that if you gave, God was going to give you a hundredfold. And my brother says, well, if, if he really believed that principle, why didn't he just send money to us? God would give him a hundredfold and he would be able to pay his bills. Because he really wasn't going into it for that purpose. And let me make this clear again. We never have never in the 20-something years we've been Shoreline Calvary Chapel, we have never passed a hat for anything. Or a, or a gold-plated velvet something or whatever or baskets. I mean, there's a box in the back so people can give as they're led. And let me say that again. That's it. And the reason I say that is let's get to the principles here as they apply to this. The point is quite simple. That what happens when you know that you've been duped by some guy like these people that have followed Paul is you tend to shut your heart up and then you tend to be like, well, fine, I'll have nothing to do with anyone. I'll kind of come in, quietly be a consumer, and then walk out. And God says, that doesn't play in the house of God. That does not work here. We're supposed to be family. And a family with hard hearts isn't really the family God called us to be. That's people living together. That's not a family. And so this is what he says. He says, if you were to invest, and think about the things that you have that are of any value. 
your time, your talent. Those are important. Your creativity, your resources, your heart. Those are all valuable things. We know that because it's harder sometimes for us to spend our time than it is to to spend our cash. Unless you're in love. Then you'll spend everything and you don't care. Think about all of those things for a moment and let me ask you a question. What's most important in your life? Well, go through that list again and let me ask you, how much of what you say is most important to you is where you spend that the most? Your time, your heart, your creativity, your resources, your personal strength. Where do you spend that the most? For whose benefit? That's why, can I, and this is going to be rough because it's all going to be recorded, but that's why I don't mind spending lots of money to build an orphanage. I have no problem with that. I don't, like, I don't mind spending money on people that have, a, that have any form of sort of need as long as I'm sure that the need is genuine. I have a problem giving it to someone like the government unless they really need it and it's supposed to happen. But if it's asked, if it's demanded, we have to do it. Please hear me in this. Jesus told us it this way. You're going to lay up for yourself treasures somewhere. In Matthew 6, it tells us that you lay up for your treasure, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or on earth. What you lay up on earth, here's the problem, it'll decay, it can rust, it can corrupt, and it can be stolen. We've watched an awful lot of that in the neighborhood where we live. One day we came home, our next door neighbor, we just thought they were gone and realized that someone had broken into their house, stolen their car keys, and taken both Audis that were in their driveway. Just like that. Oh, they didn't get the low jack you know, upgrade, you know, the part that you pay a little extra so that they can identify where your car is at all times. Yeah, that would have been a good investment at that point, but hindsight's twenty twenty. And no matter what it is, here's the problem. No matter what you get that's a treasure on earth, you'll spend all your time protecting it. It'll consume you if you're not careful. Watching the guy park his Maserati on the street, and I think, man, that's a crazy world to live in. Jesus says, or you can lay up your treasures in heaven. Moth can't corrupt it. Rust can't destroy it. And no one can steal it. So then I have to ask, well, well, what's precious to God? I mean, what would be the precious things in heaven? Certainly not gold. Because to be honest, gold is God's pavement. We see that in heaven, that the streets are paved in gold. If we talk, take what in America is called a sidewalk, here we call it pavement. And we did it on one city block on both sides. And we took the amount of pavement that is on both sides. And it were as God's paving stones up in heaven, we could pay the national debts of both the United Kingdom and America with just that much gold. And that's what he paves the streets with. So clearly, the things that we call precious here, and God says, by the way, what man adores is an abomination to him. It's clearly not that. So what's precious to God? There's only one thing that's precious to God. You. You are. That's what's precious. That's why when Jesus says, when a strong man's in his house and he's got, you know, he feels like he's safe, all of his armor's set up and he's there and he goes, but when somebody stronger comes in and they take that guy and they bind him and they take all of his things and they take all of his prized possessions. Well, what do you think that is? The context is Jesus was seeing people set free from Satan. That's the whole point. The strong man be the enemy himself. He bound him so that he could come and get you. There it is. And so listen, in the end of it all, the Bible says, though we can't judge, we can be fruit inspectors. Because he tells us 
that a good tree bears forth good fruit and a bad tree bears forth bad fruit. So you watch the fruit. What happens after the people encounter this individual? What happens? Do you see anybody exercising a spiritual gift for which other people are benefited? Because the issue was, where do I invest my time, my energy, my creativity, my strength, my resources? Where would it be best? Well, how does it affect, where does it affect people eternally the most? That's your best investment. So in light of that, so hear me, and again, I'm going to stop apologizing. It's just in Scripture. We're just going to have to deal with it. Um, Here's the point. He says, so if you're being taught by somebody, clearly you are already experiencing a spiritual gift and you know that it's being effective. If you're genuinely being taught, that's a safe investment. If you if you've prayed with someone to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you see that person doing that elsewhere, that's a great investment because you've already experienced the benefit of that spiritual gift that a person's used you used. You've been the beneficiary of that. And because of you're like, that's a good investment. If that person were invested in, clearly more people would be saved or clearly more people would be taught. More people would be equipped. More people would be encouraged. More people would be launched to do their work. That's where the investments go. And when he goes, when that happens, great things happen. Because when that happens, more people are affected. And here's the best part. You get to be part of that. It's like Amway, only better. So the idea is, imagine this. Imagine if Bruno, God just comes upon him in such a way that every time Bruno wears a tie and he shares with someone, they just give their life to Jesus. It doesn't matter where. If that were the case, you know, first of all, I would be praying that Bruno falls in love with wearing ties. I would buy ties for the guy. And I would want to put him where unsaved people are people that don't know Jesus, and I would want to do whatever I could to keep him there and keep him doing that. The most sort of heinous thing we could do in a moment like that is keep him someplace where people aren't. That would be tragic. By the way, that's the whole idea of staffing people, by the way, so you know. The idea is if we gave them more time, they would do this more, and more people would be affected for the benefit. We see the spiritual gift demonstrated. We want to see that done on more people, and we see the fruit of that. Oh, God, give us such people and give us such a church that goes, yes, that guy. Let's get behind that guy now and watch what happens when we get that guy around those people. Because when that guy's around those kind of people, God does great stuff. And when you do that, you're like, man, let's get him there. And what do we have to do to make that happen? And imagine if we did that instead of just, oh, let's just uh, give money to Red Cross. Well, there's a tragedy and these people are dumping rice. Hey, I'm not against feeding people, but I'm way more into feeding people in the name of Jesus. This is an opportunity for people to call out to the Lord, and I want to see that happen. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. For a church that now has that kind of attitude because they've been lied to now by these people that followed Paul, now he's in a position where he's like, listen, when it comes down to it, who has blessed you? I'm not just talking about made you happy or made you feel good, but you just know that when they're in the zone and you are near them, you're going to wind up closer to Jesus. What are you going to do about that? Get around those people for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Love God enough to want to be near them and love other people enough to want to get them to them. And that's what he's saying here. So follow me on this because he's going to compare that to the other people here in a moment. And now we'll pick this up. This is what it says. For he who is sows to the flesh, that's the seed, will be... And remember, the flesh is just me first mindset. Well, in the flesh, or literally out of the flesh, reap corruption, or literally ruin or destruction. So you want to sort of like, this is what I'm planting in my life, me first, man, me first. What makes me important, what makes me liked, what makes me be seen by other people. That's exactly what Jesus was nailing when he talked about laying your treasures in heaven. He says, there's these other guys right now that are doing their religious thing, and I'm going to kick them out and use you as a new revolution. But for that to happen, you can't just raise up and become like them. I mean, everyone thinks they're the thing. 
They're not the thing. This is what they do. You're like, yes, but they fast and they pray and they give. And you're like, how did Jesus like, how do you know that? He's like, because I see them do it. And he goes, that's the point. He's like, oh, they do pray. And they pray, oh, God. Now, not everybody who does that is actually not sincere. He goes, but Jesus, knowing their hearts, says, you know, they just do it to be seen by you. You see, the problem is, they really, it's like, God's like, if I were there or not, doesn't matter. The bottom line is, it's just not for me. It doesn't matter whether I'm in the room or not. They're doing it if you're in the room. And usually I tend to ask people, especially when they get all spiritual gifty, and I'm not against spiritual gifts, of course, I, for goodness sakes. The question is, are you, you just, there's certain spiritual gifts that you can do whether people are around or not. Do you only do them around other people? Because that's the point. And he says, look at they, they pray and they make their phylacteries long and they do these long prayers and they practice them and they practice, you know, and they, it's like today they pray in King James. Oh, God, pray us now, you know, And it's like, you don't talk like that. As if God's like, well, that was a beautiful performance, but that wasn't prayer. Imagine if I want to speak with Lewis and I'm like, oh, Lewis, and I put on a beret. How's it going? He's like, what are you doing, man? Oh, Hugo. Oh, la, la. You know, he would think I'm playing something weird. Or a devil. Hey. She's like, you don't talk like that. But imagine if we were around like a bunch of Italians and I'm like trying to act. What's wrong with you? You know, you know. And, you, and, you, and you said, she's like, you're doing that for them. You don't even have talking to me. You ever have someone talk to you, but they're not even talking to you? They're kind of looking at everyone else. And you're, you're, like, you're like purple monkeys, pineapples. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're like, you're not even listening. And God says, look, if they're praying that they're doing, it's like this big performance for you guys. And you know what? Stand up and applaud them because it's all the, the reward they're going to get. He goes, but God says, you know, you really want to bless me? You really want to talk to me? Let's get alone. Let's get along where it's just you and me and nobody else is there for you to perform. And you're just being honest. You're just being real. And it's not a rehearsed thing. Could you imagine? You're like, you know, you're like, Bruno, I really, really want to talk to you. You know, I, this is really, really important. Oh, Bruno. Oh, great and wonderful Bruno with such great and shiny head. Oh, how great you are. And I love your shirts. And... Really? Do you think Bruno will be like, oh, thank you. And there's the danger. And he says, look, it, this is the problem. Oh, man, it's like they don't have a problem performing. They just have a problem doing what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, and when they give, oh, <laughs> you know exactly how much they give because they're like, check this out. And it's like blowing trumpets. And the funny thing is that the, where you gave your money in the, tre the temple treasury were these big metal cones. Do you remember those old things? They call them Victrolas. They were like the original record player. You have to go back like 25 generations. Like there's like iPod, you know, it's like iPhone to iPod to, to CD player and CD player. And then the CDs got bigger to these things called albums. And, and, like, and the elms got thicker, and you had this thing, and it had this big horn that shot out. And you put this thing on, and it's like... <laughs> Actually, that was pretty good. Well, well, that horn thing, is there were, there were seven of those that were listed out at the treasury, so they looked like trumpets. So imagine if you were putting in your coins... I mean, it wasn't like you were just kind of, you know, dumping them or whatever. You were like, check me out. And you were making sure you made as much noise as you could. God's like, you know, I'm not blessed by that. And we've had guys do that. They've come in, not here, by the way. You know, here it would be nice every once in a while. But I mean, there we'd have these guys, and they, and they always seem to come in with cowboy hats. I don't know what that is. But he, there was this one guy, and he was just like, he was 6'6", six, six, and he was just built like a giant potato. And he'd come walking in, and he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a lot of money today, but I want everybody to know it. And I'm like, just put that back, Junior, because if you're going to let everybody else know it, I don't even want it. I, it's like, you're not doing the Lord's work. Oh, come on. You're doing... You're doing your own work. 
So someone will testify for you in court when they try to figure out where that money came from? Well, hear, hear me. And then he says, and when you fast, here's the problem. And it doesn't just have to be fasting. It's anything you do that's sacrificial. He goes, man, they disfigure their faces. I don't even know what that means. Like, what do they do? Like, cut themselves or, or just kind of ga- make themselves more gone? Like, I'll go like this. Just try to make themselves look. And so the people go, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And you're like, oh. Fasting. Just fasting. How long has it been? Ah, oh, like 30, 40 minutes. You know? You know, and it's like, but ah, oh, just pray, pray for me because it's like, be, this is going to be like a spiritual battle, man. It's going to be a spiritual battle. I can flip. Right now. We're just gonna, hold, hold on. And you can see God going. What was that? And he goes, really? That's that. Is that your investment? That was your investment. And it's kind of like, hi, this is the new crowd. The new crowd's spiritual. How do I be cool in this crowd? I have to look sacrificial. How do I play sacrificial role now? Do you know what we call that? An actor. In the Greeks, they wore masks. To wear a mask is the term hypocrite. It's where we get the term hypocrite all a hypocrite is is an actor that's all it means it's a poser you know the guy that walks through camden with the like liberty spikes but it's a wig that's my favorite you know and you see the wind blow and all of a sudden that like giant like fan thing on their head that looks like you know goes like this and you're like man if you ever saw a real punk they would kill you for that and it's like you're just busy playing the role. I don't know what you do when you go home in Norway or whatever. But it's, you know, it's, and I get the idea. It's like, okay, this is my new group. How do I look cool in this group? Oh, I need to learn how to pray. When was the last time you were so blown away because someone's prayer was eloquent? I mean, where you were just like, wow. That guy or that girl can pray. It's like I need a thesaurus and a dictionary just to listen to their prayer. Like, it's like, when was the last time you're like, wow, you know, I need to pray like that? I've never been that way. But have you ever had someone that prayed and it was almost like you could almost barely understand the sentences? It was like words were just kind of coming out, and, but they knew God understood and they were pouring forth their heart. And you're like, I need to pray like that. And I've been affected by those moments, always been affected by those moments in comparison. Because you know it wasn't a show. And if you left the room and if everybody else left the room, there would be nothing that would change on them. Because it wasn't about you anyways. It should never be. He goes, look at Please hear me in this. What you're going to sow to is what you're going to reap. So you want to sow to that me first thing? You'll still perform. You'll do. And here's the problem. As a pastor, you can fool me. Because I'm not going to spend my whole life digging into you to try to figure out whether you're a phony or not. That's not my job. I'll see it in your fruit sooner or later. So you can fool, and you can even fool yourself. You could get so good to think that you are super Christian. And wander off because God is not mocked. But you've been deceived. And you're like, how in the world, how come there aren't more people rising up to applaud me? I mean, I've been doing all this great spiritual stuff. God's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you expecting? What kind of harvest are you expecting here? If you sow to that me first, you're going to reap corruption, literally decay. Because dead people, that's what they do naturally. But if you sow to the spirit where it is about you first, it's God first, you second, me last. You can actually reap everlasting life. Okay, you know, the good, the, the good and the bad are the good is, I think I can do that. The bad is, I don't think I can do it for long. <laughs> I get these moments where I'm like, oh, that was awesome. Thank you, Lord, because I know that wasn't me. But, it's so, but there are times in the middle of it, I'm like, God, you're going to have to slay that guy again because I think I'm jumping into the middle of this again. And notice what he says next. He says, listen. And this is the context of this verse, verse 9. Notice the term let us not. You remember what let means? It means something wants to happen and you're giving it permission. Here, notice the word not. That means something wants to happen and you're not letting it happen. 
And what's happening? You could grow weary in doing the right thing. Please hear me on this as we now bring this and we start picking this up. <laughs> Didn't I say that once before? If our issue is in regards to investing, then, then what needs to happen is that we need to continue in endurance in that investment. The problem is God tells us a couple things here. God tells us there is such a thing as a due season. He doesn't say it's all the time. Jesus said to his brothers, you know, any time's good for you. But God is a due season. Now that due season, you don't know when that is. I don't know what that is. I just know this. That there is a due season. But that due season, I need to stay about it. And notice what it says at the end of verse 9. It doesn't just say that you stop doing it. It says that you lose heart. Do you know the difference? Hey, there are some people, they're just kind of like, forget it, man. I'm just going to stop. I'm done. But to be honest, most of us, if we're going to be trying to be decent people in a Christian culture, we'll probably keep doing it. Our heart just won't be in it anymore. And the reason our heart won't be in it is because we lost hope. We lost hope that somehow the investment in this is going to do is going to make a difference in anyone's life. We may have had the best intentions, but understand the idea of being selfless in this investment also comes with a hope that it's God who brings the harvest. He's still the Lord of the harvest. And whether that harvest is people getting saved, or whether that harvest is people getting trained, or whether that harvest is people getting launched to go do the same. In the end of it all, he says, there is a due season. I mean, could you imagine? And, and you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, we've gotten to the place where it's like, let's face it, if you look on a microwave dinner and it says 45 seconds, you roll your eyes and go, 45 seconds? What am I going to do while that's happening all that time? When I realize I have to put microwave popcorn in for three minutes, I'm like, I have to wait to watch the movie for three minutes? You know, it's like now, let's, let's face it, you ever been held up on a train and you know, to be honest, it was held up for about a minute and a half, maybe three. Or you're on a plane and it's like, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to wait to take off for another 35 minutes. Where you're going, people used to take a boat and not come back until they had a beard. And we're like, are you kidding? I'm going to arrive 14 minutes late in Alaska, in Hawaii, in New Zealand. Are you kidding? I'm like, you know what it would be like? Hi, honey, I'm going to go to New Zealand. I'll see you when you're 60. That's what it was like before. And the reason I say that is, is that we look, and, and you know, it's like, it's like that no matter what it is, especially if you, you, know, you over order anything from Amazon and you're like, come on. When they say five to 100 days, I assume the five. They're leaning on the hundred. Where is it? Where is it? And you almost sit by the door in your heart. Where is it? Can you imagine talking to a farmer and he throws down his seed and you come back three minutes later and you're going, well, come on, where's my orchard? Your orchard? He's like, it looks like dirt. Yes, it does. Underneath there are seeds doing stuff. I can't see it. That's true. Good thing you don't have to. And the word gets planted today where it is getting planted into you. You know what happens inside? It's doing stuff. And I can't see it. I mean, the only thing I can see is whether, to be honest, whether you're still awake for most of you. And, I, and it's like what happens is it grows and it starts to bear forth fruit as God's planting. His, his, he's investing in His Holy Spirit in you and great things are happening. And sooner or later you start, you ever open up your mouth and Scripture comes out and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? That was awesome. And all of a sudden the fruit starts falling out. It wasn't like you're like, oh, fruit, I've got to get some fruit. Really? Good luck with that. He's like, can I just say, for some of you, maybe the issue really is, what are you really investing in? Your time, your resources, your energy, your creativity. I mean, you re are you investing in anything that if this world were to blow up tomorrow is going to mean anything after that? But maybe for some of us, you have been, but you're just 
struggling because you can't see the hope anymore, this is really going to bear forth great fruit. Because you know what we do? We count people. We're like, whoa, let's look in the pews. And we're like, huh? How many people are there? And you're like, including myself? Oh, okay, I get where you're coming from. You know, they're like, that matters. The bottom line is, you can't see what God's doing in our hearts. Isn't that the point? Okay, look it. So he's like, please, 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 don't let yourself detach your heart from what God called you to do. Don't do it. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily unto him, as unto him. Heartily. Do you know what it means to do something heartily? That means with your heart. Therefore, since that's what we're called to do, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all. Which, by the way, the idea of that is let's do what benefits other people. Especially, notice the word, especially the household of faith. If you're really going to try to benefit someone, start with the church and work your way out. Start with those who are your brothers and sisters. Yeah, but they might stab me in the back. Yes, truth be told, yes, they might. Because they're human beings like you that have accepted Christ, but in them, they're still trying to decide at every given moment, just like you, whether they want to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And any person who walks in the flesh can stab you, metaphorically. The only difference is they could also not. And sometimes what they need is just a little investment, a little good done for them. Amazing what that does for people. So listen, as we move to the last comparisons, the point is simple. He's like, look at If you're being blessed by someone, invest something in them. It doesn't have to be somebody with a title or a badge. It doesn't have to be somebody that has an office or a mic. If there's someone that you know is eternally affecting people, go bless them this week. Put it on your diary. If that starts, and you say, well, how do I do that? I don't even know what to do. Can I start with this? Commit to pray for them for a week and say, Lord, I'm at your disposal how you want to bless me, how you want to use me to bless. Do you know how cool it is to be a blessing to someone? And to know that that blessing is going to in some way invest in a human being that's going to affect all kinds of other people that God's going to say, because you invested, these people are here. Imagine that. So look at, see what large letters I write to you, which again leads me to believe that Paul had a problem with his eyes. He's writing big letters. I imagine we're reading something and it's like clay tablets and it's like these gigantic letters. And and he says, no, notice. He goes, let me show you the way that the circumcision works because they're sowing to the flesh. Remember how it's like sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh? This is what it looks like to sow to the flesh. He says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they want to get you circumcised so that they wouldn't suffer the persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they want to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. Here are their three reasons for trying to do what they're doing. I mean, look at There are people and there are genuine pastors out there of which I'd love to be one, where it's like they love their flock, they pray for their flock, they invest in their flock, they are available to them and they want to love them, and the only people who get it better than them are their, is their own family. Where they, their family knows they have first dibs. Then comes the flock. Then comes themselves. And then there are others who are going to be out there for gain. They're not out there for the flock. They're not out there for Jesus. They're out there for themselves. And he goes... Now you compare and you tell me these people who are trying to get you in their camp, that are trying to get you onto their thing, trying to get you to become more like them and not more like Jesus, you tell me what their motivation is. Paul says, let me tell you about those circumcisers. Here it is in three things. One is, they want to be able to make a good show. In other words, they want everyone to think they're awesome. So in the end of it all, the issue is not how great Jesus is. It's like, how great is our worship leader? You know, I mean, that's what we're getting by the time we're done. The second is so that they wouldn't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So that those who actually really hate Jesus aren't going to hate them. And third, that they could boast in you. So the guy stands up and says, today we have baptized into our church. Now we've seen people come to know Jesus or hallelujah, people have been baptized to testify of Christ. But into our church, 
We have now taken from other churches and so forth 14 more people. Let's get a round of applause. They're finally... And it's like, what? Hey, there are churches out there, and by the way, some of them, by the way, you might be surprised at how prominent they are, that will tell you things like, you're not even saved unless you're baptized into their church. Hey, Scripture does not say you're baptized into the church. It says you were born into the church the moment you said yes to Jesus. You were adopted into Jesus. You want an initiation to be a part of this church? Poof, wallawama, there you go. Now, welcome to the church. We don't even have a membership. Be a member of Christ. Serve each other. Be a family. You don't need somebody to tell you what to do for that other than Jesus. So he says, but God forbid that I would boast in anything but the cross of Christ. I'm not here trying to score things. I'm not here trying to check it out, all the people I saved. I can't save a soul. Check out all the people I train. I can't train a soul, but I can throw seed and I can, I can water it and I can watch God grow stuff. And in the end of it all, I, I, when people say, what is it like to be a pastor? It's like I get to feel like I'm sitting in this beautiful garden and somehow I get credit as the gardener when all I'm really doing in the end of it all is just enjoying the flowers. That's what it's really like for me. He goes, man, God forbid that I would boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom this is what it looks like. The world is crucified to me. Do you know what that means? I look at the world and I'm like, you're dead. And the world looks at me and says, oh, you're dead. You're like, well, but then you're not going to be cool. Dead things aren't cool. Yeah. That's why when we have our funerals, with all due respect, we put makeup on them. Because they don't look so good. They're dead. And the world, look, if you're going to try to be cool, following Jesus isn't going to be the cool thing. But let me just say, you're either going to be cool now for a little bit, or you're going to be cool eternally. I'm way into that. He says, you know what? It isn't about me. I died to the world, and the world died to me when I said yes to Jesus. Now, if you've had said yes to Jesus, if you have, as we go to prayer, it's like, you know what? In the end of it all, know that. Trying to blend in with the very people that God is trying to make you different than, means you're fighting God. And he doesn't want you to do that. What he wants to do is make you a blessing. That's what you'd rob yourself of. Just let him do what he wants to do. So in Christ Jesus, this whole issue of getting circumcised or whatever to join someone's club, man, doesn't mean anything. The two things that really matter, and it's the whole crux of the whole book, here's 6.15 and 5.6. And 6.15, as we see it here, is a new creation. In 5.6, Galatians 5.6, it's faith working through love. So here it is. What really matters as a Christian, who you are, what you do. Who you are, you're a new creation now. You're not who you used to be. You're not the addict, pervert, mean, strangler, violent, angry, whatever you were. Now you are on the road. You are God's construction project to become his greatest masterpiece ever. And the greatest masterpiece he's going to make means you're a new creation. You can't be what you were before. On the other side of it, what do I do? Who I am? New creation. What do I do? I love other people because I trust God. That's it. I don't have to worry about me. God's got me covered. Now I can be concerned about other people. God spends enough time concerned with me. So, as many who walk according to that, man, peace be on them. Peace and mercy be upon him and upon the Israel of God. So stop bothering me with this stuff. Let's settle it once and for all. I bear in my body the marks of Christ. So brothers, the grace of our Lord, because this whole thing is about grace. God giving you what you don't deserve. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. As we pray, let me ask you, where is your investment? Where is our heart? And Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And how do I know where my heart's going to be? It's going to be where I openly, in opportunism, look for opportunities to invest in that thing. To make me look good, to make me liked, to move me forward, to get that person to like me, to get whatever, to get the thing, to get the whatever. If that's what consumes me, I'll give everything to it. Or... I'm going to follow Jesus in such a way that it's like, Lord, all that I am is yours. And God goes, well, then let's put that to the test. Do, the, do something crazy with it. I'm going to tell you, go and do this. Go and, go and invest in that person. Or go and follow this thing. Or, or go and spend some of your time and do something with that. And you're like, that's really crazy. And God goes, I know. 
Isn't that great? You're like, but I don't have much. Jesus is like, you heard the story of the five loaves and the two fish for 5,000 men and their families. The issue was not how much you had. The issue was whose it was. It was Once you put it in the hands of the Lord, it was fine. It will always be enough once it's in his hands. If you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, it begins and ends with grace. Just the same way that Paul showed up in the town, he says, look at Jesus died for your sins, rose again, died for your sins to pay your price, rose again to give you new life, and there you go. Will you accept that gift? If you have said yes, and you know that simple, simple thing, now you could share it with someone else. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this beautiful word. I thank you for this beautiful book that we've now had the privilege of walking through. And I pray, Lord, today... For those right now, Lord, who, I mean, my heart really is heavy over this. That they want to love you. They don't even know how, but they want to love you. And they want to love you in a way that they can look and say, see, that really is me loving you. And Lord, I I know sometimes there is a time where it's just nestling in with you and listening And I pray right now, Lord, for our prayer life, that it really would be intimate, that it would be a dialogue and not just us throwing a Dear Santa, Father Christmas list out, but a real genuine, God, can we just talk? Can I pour forth my heart? And I know, Lord, sometimes if we did that more with you, we'd vent on other people less in a way that they're not even ready or equipped to handle where the answers that we really need, we know that you are the one who can give them to us. Forgive us where we look for them from other people who may even love us, but they're not you. And when we give, Lord, whatever it is that we give, may we not sound it off in some way so that everyone else can know how awesome we are for what we gave. But rather, Lord, Can we give in such a way, Lord, that even the person who has benefited doesn't even know where it came from so that all the credit they can give is to you? So they could say, oh, God, you did it again. And whatever it is that we sacrifice, be it in fasting or otherwise, God, that we would not make it look like we are a martyr for often very little sacrifice whatsoever. Whatever we sacrifice, may we just have the joy of knowing we're giving it up because we love you. But Lord, I also pray for those right now who they used to do this with all their heart, but they don't now. They've been investing in people and they didn't see the harvest they wanted or they really wanted to see greater change. They're digging up the seed and waiting to see how much of it's germinated and they want an orchard, but they aren't seeing much but roots and stalks. Lord, I pray that you would give them hope tonight. That they would not lose heart and not grow weary. But tonight that they would be all excited about the fact and solid and confirmed on the fact that you are the Lord of the harvest. And you know well when the fact that it due it's going to happen sooner or later. So, Lord, let us not grow weary in doing the right thing. And, Lord, may we do good, seek the benefit of others, especially those who are in your household. God, that we really could be people who, like, how can I be a blessing today? Lord, let us not be like the circumcision those that are just trying to gather up a group of people to try to validate themselves, to try to avoid persecution from the world, to try to boast in how many people they've affected or influenced, how many books they've sold, how many MP3s have been downloaded or whatever. But Lord, rather, God, just make us people that just are thankful to be in the field doing what you've called us to. 
And I pray, Lord, for the callings that you've placed on every one of these people in this room, my brothers and my sisters, that that tonight they would even discover that to a greater degree. And their calling is so much more than just doing something at a church or doing something that seems like it's Christian, but to see you exercise through them spiritual gifts that affect people for eternity. And Lord, as you continue to raise up people to do that, may we as a church continue to rally up around such individuals to invest whatever you want us to invest in them in such a way so that they could have the freedom to do what you've called them to. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone who has yet to say yes to that gift of Jesus Christ, as simple as that message is, that tonight they would say yes and pray this prayer with me right now. God, I am a sinner like everyone. And that sin must be punished. But I believe because you love me, you punished all my sin on the cross of your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, who just like Scripture promised, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and just like Scripture promised, three days later rose again. And as he rose again, he offers me new life. So may my life be that simple now. Make me one that is a new creation, that I would express my faith in what you've done in me by loving others. So I say yes to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, as my payment. And I hand myself over to you. Make me now that which you want. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.